get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's you know washing all the germs out, you want to get obviously the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do, then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's. Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations. And there are a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. Most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That you don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Last night, Dylan Bundy, pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels, had a rough one. He had a public puking moment in... I don't know if this applies to everyone, but I feel like most people have vomited in public at least once in their life. And I'm assuming most people did it at a younger age. Like college is probably the the highest frequency of time to have done it because you probably did it at a bar after you took a shot or if you had too much to drink. But everybody's puked in public, right? Maybe not that publicly. Maybe not in a stadium in front of tens of thousands of people and on TV in front of hundreds of thousands of people, but we've all been there. I'm trying to think of the last time that I, that I ralphed in public. I remember there was one time in a bar, I, I puked like behind, there was a big, you probably know what I'm talking about if I describe it like this, but whatever. (laughs) Um, There's a bar in town that has a big bear statue and I just puked behind that thing. Anybody notice? Uh Uh-uh. That's kind of messed up. Yeah. Well, I couldn't. I didn't have time to go Imagine to the bathroom. Imagine being the part-timer who just had to go clean that. Yeah, well. Bear did it. Never puked in an Uber. That would cost you a lot of money. Yeah. No, I actually know people who have done that before. That sucks. Yeah, it does. And they, they'll they charge like you like- like $150 charger. It's something exorbitant. That's reason enough to never drive Uber. <laughs> Is it? You get a lot of money for it. I don't want any puke in my car ever. God, I don't ever want to drive that Rent car. Rent a car. Again. Puke is the nastiest, stinkiest smelling thing ever. Hire man. somebody to clean it. Not enough. You got like one hundred and fifty dollars. Not enough. I'll still be fifty of that. On I'll, st- I'll still be scarred because I know that that happened in the back seat. So it's really hot out everywhere. Um, they were in New York actually, and he's sweating. You could tell his hat's all dark, and he's literally on the mound, getting the call from the catcher. And he steps away and then just loses it right on the side of the mound. And the training staff rushes out to try and help him. He didn't stay in the game, as you might imagine. It would have been funnier if he kept pitching through it. 
<laughs> mid-pitch, and he's just, nope, he's fine. He's puking off to the side, shaking off the catcher, going back into his no, lineup. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I don't really have that many public ones. Like I said, they're all alcohol-related. We've all been in the bathroom of the, of the local bar, letting it go. Uh, usually mine was uh, two of the two, two, two things were involved. One of two things, uh, the rumplements, peppermint schnapps <laughs> or tequila. Mm. Those are the two. Any sort of shot. I just can't do shots. Well, I mean, I'm actually normal because that's the body's natural reaction. When you take a shot of alcohol, your, your body yeah. is saying this does not belong in my body. Let me get it out for you. So if you do take shots, well, that just means you have a drinking problem. Or it means you're mentally weak. Yeah, mentally because no, you're, you're bo- mentally weak. No, I'm not. My yeah, body, I'm I let my mentally body mentally weak. Mentally. Haven't you ever heard people say, "Listen to what your body's telling you"? I listen to what my body's telling me. And my body says, "Don't put that into your body." I say, "Okay, see ya, bye." So you don't ever drink? Not like that. Not in excess. I drink in moderation. You should give it a well, try. You should do one shot. Celebration no. shot. No. You know, it's too much. That's excess. So actually, this happened. I have a story. This is an all timer. Uh, last I don't know, September, October, my best friend got married, lives up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So we went up there for the wedding. That's where she's from as well. He's from here. We go up there for the wedding and the wedding party is mostly guys I know, best friends from growing up in Topeka. So I know most of the guys. The only guy I didn't really know was the bride's little brother. I'd say he's probably 22, 23. He didn't know any of us. But it's one of those things, we've all been in those weddings where, like, the sibling is involved and you kind of feel bad for them because they don't really know anybody. So when you're doing all the pre-ceremony festivities, whether it be, you know, going around, taking pictures, going to the room, drinking, you know, just having a few beers casually, BSing. That one person feels like they're not really involved because they don't know anybody and we're all having a good time joking around with each other and they're sort of left out there by themselves. So I didn't really pay attention to this kid. I talked to him a couple times, but, you know, he was, he was sort of awkward and shy. So he just kind of did his own thing. You don't really pay anything any attention to it. So we do the wedding, the ceremony. It was a quick, non-religious one. Go to the ceremony, uh, start eating, and that's when, you know, the speeches start. So... What was weird about the setup, you know, you usually do the main table setup and all the girls are on one, you know, the bride and groom are in the middle, all the girls are on one side, the guys are on the other side, right? Except for some reason, I don't know why they did this, 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 the, the bride, she has a sister who is the maid of honor and her little brother, and she had the little brother sit over by her instead of with the rest of the guys, which I always thought was just weird. It's just, he's the only guy sitting over there, whatever. So they start doing the speeches, and the maid of honor is giving the worst speech ever, ever. She brings out props. <laughs> if you're giving a wedding speech and you've got props, stop. Reassess. You've taken a wrong turn. she turn. have, like balloon animals? Or- she had a cardboard cutout of Will Ferrell. <laughs> okay. she, was, she was comparing the relationship that she had with the bride to like Will Ferrell and all the relationships he had with like all these characters in these movies. Like you're the Ricky Bobby and I'm Cal Naughton Jr. Or you're Ron Burgundy and I'm uh, uh, Champ Kind. I don't know. It was all of the, it was long too, long, like 10 minutes, which is also like if you've gone longer <laughs> than two minutes, once again, you have taken a wrong turn somewhere. 
reevaluate. So everybody's tuned out. Like she thinks it's the most hilarious speech that's ever been given. And meanwhile, we're all just like, well, can we eat? I'm waiting for this speech to end. And she's not landing any jokes. So she's doing it. She's doing the speech. She's standing right behind the bride. So everybody's looking right at her and looking right at the bride. Meanwhile, this little brother who's sitting right there, I noticed from the end of the table, he's just like fidgeting and moving around a lot. And at one point, he puts his head straight down on the table. Like, <laughs> heads up, seven up. Heads up, seven up, like forehead down on the table, like he's falling asleep in class. And I kind of tapped the arm of one of the other grooms, and I'm like, what? What's he doing? And I was like, I don't know. Maybe he's got a headache or I don't know. And he just puts his head down and he kind of looks up. And at some point he looks up. So all I can see are his eyes now. But the the, uh, the bottom half of his face is below the table. And he's just like darting his eyes around. I go, this is weird. Like the speech is still going on and he's just, and I can't, I'm fixated on him. And at one point, because I have a good view. I can see behind the table, right? Because I'm on the, I'm at the table. At one point, he backs up and proceeds to vomit <laughs> underneath the table directly onto the bride's wedding dress. Uh. And it's a lot. And it's colorful. Oh, this no. isn't just clear liquid. It's like orangish red. And it's splattering. And I can hear it. And meanwhile, unbeknownst to the maid of honor, she's just continuing to ramble on with this speech. So she keeps going, and me, the guy's sitting there puking on his sister's wedding dress, and she is the she's a trooper. She doesn't move. The bride doesn't move. She looks down. You can tell pissed-off look comes across her face like she's grimacing, but she's not moving. She's not making a scene. She's trying to fake a smile, and her little brother's just puking all over her wedding dress. So the second it ends, the parents knew exactly what was happening. The parents go up, get the, the brother. He, like, stumbles into the bathroom. Meanwhile, like, all the bridesmaids are rushing over, like, trying to clean off her wedding dress. And the next day, like, they, we went on with the night. Like, she did not let it ruin her wedding night as a good bride wouldn't, right? That would be terrible to let that define your wedding night, even though it's a pretty awful thing to have happened. But the next morning, you know, when I'm driving home from... Iowa, three and a half hours, five hours, whatever it was. I was hungover and I felt terrible and I felt sick and I just wanted to get home and I thought this is the worst day ever. I hate making long drives when I'm hungover. But I thought to myself, at least I'm having a better day than that kid <laughs> who for the rest of his life is going to have to live with the fact that he ruined his sister's wedding because he got too drunk. That was it. While we were all talking and hanging out before the wedding, he didn't have anybody to talk to. And what happens when you're in a social setting and you're nervous and you don't know what to do? The drinks seem to go down a little bit quicker, don't they? Apparently, there was like a bottle of Maker's Mark that he was just pouring oh. back, just tipping back all day long. He's 22, not a big drinker. He just got hammered. And that is probably the worst public yeah, vomiting story I've ever heard in my life. So I, I have, ever I have witnessed. two quick ones, and they're not like that. You know, that has an impact. That doesn't, that's just not like, oh, that's gross. That has a family impact. One was actually at a Chiefs game. Um, and this is the complete opposite. You know, that kid's going to feel shame for the rest of his life. This person, I don't think, felt any shame and will feel any shame. Um, me and my wife were just standing, you know, in our, in our section in the corner of the end zone. And all of a sudden, this lady, you can tell, is out of her mind drunk, walking up the aisle. 
as she gets to our row, and we're in the exit area or whatever, like the last seat on the aisle, so we're standing right there. She's maybe a step up. You hear like a gurgle, (laughs) and it just starts coming out all over herself. She's just puking straight down under her shirt. Looks down, looks up, keeps walking. No. How old was this woman? 60? What? (laughs) 60? Yeah. That's like my mom. Yeah. I can't. My mom would never do that. Well, somebody's mom. Somebody's somebody's mom mom. Go get her. Oh, Um, my God. I would assume she stayed at the game. So she was drunk enough not even to realize what she did. The The smell of vomit is low-key one of the worst smells (laughs) in the world. Well, imagine having to stand next to that person when she went back to her seat. Stomach acids. Yeah. Um, The other one, this one was, you know, when you get on, like, one of those early morning flights, everybody's grumpy. When you get to the security line, (sighs) it's a long security line. And this was in, I think I was, like, coming back from Nevada or something. And the line was long. Everybody's frustrated. It's taken half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour to get through security. And eventually we finally work our way through and you get to, you know, the to where they check your ID and, and your, your plane ticket and stuff. And maybe five people in front of me, so they've already cleared through, is like this family of, I don't know, four or five people. And one of the youngest kids, probably like eight, nine years old. And you could hear him this whole time through the line, like, Mom, I'm not feeling well. You know, he's like holding his stomach and stuff. <laughs> How old is the kid? Eight, nine years old. Um, and mom's just like almost we're like almost there. And eventually they get to the part where you're you're putting your stuff in the boxes and you're putting your bags on the the thing that moves and they check it through security. And you just hear him go, Mom, I'm like really not feeling well. And she goes, just a little bit longer. We're almost mm, there. Every mom is just like, dude. And right on cue, the kid grabs one of the boxes. No. That you put your the stuff bins? in the bins. <laughs> and just lets it fly. <laughs> and I'm talking the whitest. Milkiest oh, puke of all time no. into one of the boxes. Oh man, what did they do with the kid? Did they have to take him out of security? Yeah, they like took him through the the quick one where it's just the X-ray, and then they just let him go through and stuff. And oh god, they were like sanitizing. What if it's because they they were smuggling drugs and they made him swallow <laughs> some balloons? And he's like, "Mom, I they got away with it." <laughs> well, no, they didn't. It, all the evidence is in those plastic bins. That's rough, man. I've been there. Like my first, I remember my first day of middle school. I told my mom I was feeling sick, and she said, "You're not, you're not missing the first day of school." I get to school, yeah. first hour, puking in the trash can in the back of the room. Yeah, and everybody knew me as the kid who puked. Like, <laughs> that, that was the problem: is the first day of school, you make these first impressions. You're now mm. the pukey kid. But to your point on the when you're driving back and you're you're not feeling well, is the same idea with you know it's six in the morning. You're getting ready for a seven thirty flight. Just go. It's not Just happy. Get, yeah. But then. At that moment, it was the realization of, well, at least I'm not the parent having to deal with it. There's always somebody feeling worse than you. There's always someone who's like, "Uh, I would trade what I'm going through for that guy who's slightly hungover on his way home. Yeah, got to have perspective. Um, You may have been a pitcher that got shelled last night. Mm. You may have given up six runs in the first inning, wondering if you're going to get sent back down to AAA. At least you're not Dylan Bundy, Mm -hmm. who puked. And on television, and yeah, that's just the other thing. It's not like he was in the middle of like pitching like some two gym. Runs in the first inning. Right? Yeah. What if it was like the seventh inning, perfect game? Oh. He's like, oh, I'm pitch- playing the best baseball of my life. Then all of a sudden, they're like, Well, you can't puke on the mound. We're still sort of getting out of this pandemic thing, and that doesn't really send the right message. That would be brutal. Hey, you need more sticky stuff. If the rosin's not working, you know, just reach down. Uh, no, no, no. That's a visual I don't want. Oh man. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I have more stories that are just so visually 
disgusting that I would never subject you or the listeners to them. But we've all got those stories, and that's why I think everybody can feel a little sympathy for uh, what Dylan Bundy went through last night. All right, this is a great note. Great note to start the show on. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwartz and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. So we just told you Pro Football Focus ranking KU 117th out of 130. 0% chance to win the Big 12 yet. Projecting them to get to 3.9 wins, which would be, checks my notes, the most successful season in a decade for Kansas football. So I know all of these things can't coexist together. Somebody's got to break down the math for me. Maybe Kevin Flaherty can do it. Kevin Flaherty. 24-7 sports joins us now on the show. Uh, we, one of these numbers is wrong. I have my feeling as to which one it is, Kevin. What say you? I think the 3.9 wins is is wrong. Uh, I have a, And it's not that Kansas can't get there. I, I'm saying that when you look at the different components of whatever formula, if you're the 117th ranked team, if you have 0% chance to win the Big 12, again, we're – we're saying, you know, not even a Lloyd Christmas chance, you know, to, <laughs> to, to win the Big 12, you know, then you're, you're not going to slot in it at four wins. That, that's my feeling on the, on the math of it. Um, I, I think that if Kansas, to, to take it a step further, if Kansas were to get to four wins this year, uh, and I had a, a Texas fan in my mentions make a joking tweet hoping they were not the point nine this year. Um, but, uh, if they do, uh, if they do get to four wins, I, I think that that would be just a tremendous first step for, for Lance Leifold and company, you know, to, to basically hit a mark that, that they haven't hit since, you know, Mark Mangino's final season when they went five and seven. Kevin, I can't, I can't just skim past that comment that you, you said you're not saying they couldn't win four games. Here's what I am saying. I am going to go ahead and say I don't think they can win four games. Where where could they possibly? What's the scenario where Kansas ends the season with four wins? So, okay, here's here's the thing, Nick. I, I do not think they will get to four wins. I, I think I, I like to think of myself as an optimistic person, having been on your show for, you know, about 20 years now, I feel like. You know, I think you would probably say that I was an optimistic mm-hmm. person. I see two, I think. Uh, I think, you know, you look at at South Dakota in that opener, I think that's obviously, you know, probably the one game that Kansas will be favored in. Uh, and I think that Kansas does sneak a Big 12 game out of there somewhere. I think there's a scenario where you could say, hey, three wins happens, and that you look at you do have some advantages with being a new staff. Uh, and we saw that happen with Les Miles in his first year when, when Kansas really blitzed Boston College at Boston College. And, and depending on the metric that you look at, you know, there might not be a giant difference between Kansas and Duke. You know, one of the, the things that's, that's difficult about that is obviously you're asking a team to go on the road and win, and win fairly early in the season when, you know, the team might not have come together yet. You know, you're still putting systems in and all of those things. That didn't matter for Les Miles because they went so divergent to their strategy 
in that Boston call really well where Kansas hadn't shown, you know, any plays out of empty or, or spread formation type plays in the couple games leading into that. And then they go to Boston College, pull that out and, and wind up hanging 40 some points and, and landing, you know, one of the best wins, obviously, the last, you know, the last decade, you would say. And so I, I can see a scenario there where maybe, you know, you have a couple things in your bag of tricks and you, you find a way to upset Duke. I do think it's going to be very difficult to get to four wins. I do think one of the things that makes me hesitant towards saying, hey, they can't get to four wins is I don't even know what I'm looking at. I mean, do you, Nick, when you when you look at this team and you say, this is going to be how this team shapes up, I don't know that we know who the quarterback is going to be. Well, that's a, that's a big question mark, right? That's a yeah, huge unknown. Sure, sure. It's a huge unknown, and you don't know what level of play you're going to get out of the quarterback spot. There are all kinds of transfers on this roster. If one or two of them hit, you know, you could be closer to, you know, you could be one or you could be closer to one win than four wins because you know you're probably hoping on more of those guys to hit. But they're also probably going to take another transfer or two before fall camp, and and if more of those guys hit. You know, maybe this is a little bit more solid team than than what you thought. I don't know what kind of presence the Buffalo players are are going to have in terms of maybe speeding up the process a little bit since they know what the expectations are and they've been in the system before and, and things like that. I don't know how much it's going to hold them back not having coached these guys through the spring to implement their system. And so there's so many unknowns there that I feel like a negative person could say, well, shoot, we don't even know that they're going to beat South Dakota in that opener because we have all these questions. But I also look at a situation where I say, well, okay, if we, if we look at things a different way and some of these things pan out, you know, is it possible that KU could have, say, a 4-8 and eight type team and, and we just don't see the signs because we don't know enough right now? I, that's possible. Not necessarily likely, but possible. Yeah, you know, it's like at first I wondered, okay, what if the the, the running back room is really special? What if Devin Neal hits the sure. ground running and they, they, you know, sort of form this offense around him? The problem with that is, as you know as well as I do, if you're going to beat teams with your rushing attack, it's not just one guy. Like, you have to have good things happening around it. You have to have good blocking. You have to have good offensive line play. You need more things to go right than I think are actually going to be able to go right for this team, especially based off how poorly the offensive line played last year. So the simpler route to get to uh, a breakout season or a surprisingly productive season for that offense is going to come at the quarterback spot. And like you said, we don't know exactly who that's going to be. But if you are sort of going back and, and painting that scenario and you do so by saying you're going to have a productive season by a Kansas quarterback, who's your best guess as to who's that going to be, and what do you think it looks like? Well, I think Jason Bean has really intriguing athleticism at the position, and I thought that he showed some good things when throwing the ball down the field at North Texas. And I think that that's one of the things that that makes this whole equation interesting, Nick, is whether you're talking about him or you're talking about Jalen Daniels, I think with Jalen Daniels, there were times when he played instinctually and it came off really, really well. And there were times when 
he was overwhelmed by having to make reads and make decisions, as would happen with, you know, most freshmen, much less, you know, freshmen who just turned 18 right before the season or, or whatever. But I think if you look at the way this team probably shakes out, they're going to run outside zone a ton. They're going to run the ball. They're going to shorten games. And when they do that, I think that a lot of the throws that you're going to see are going to be opportunity-type throws. And so it's not necessarily, hey, you know, go through your progression, hit the fifth guy, as much as, hey, we're running play action. The other team's already seen Devin Neal or or, or Belton Gardner or whoever get the ball, you know, three or four times in a row. Let, let's throw the ball over the top and, and see if we can get something here. And so you don't necessarily have to be – super efficient and hit on a really high percentage of those plays, but you hit on a few of those plays and it opens everything up in one direction. And if you run the ball effectively, it opens things up in others. And I do think Kansas has an offensive line that has some athleticism, Nick. And I don't know that they played to that last year. I think the outside zone will, will fit them. The big question is just how long until they feel fluent in it, where you know they don't have to think about what they're doing. It's not okay. I need to move my right foot this way, then go this way. No, it's it, it, when they are able to to gather all of that and, and go and getting the Buffalo center. I think really helps them quite a bit with all of that as well. I, I do think that there's a chance that maybe you know a few games in the season. Not necessarily that it clicks to where we're watching Buffalo's offense from last year because that was, you know, a ridiculously successful offense in terms of of running that, but to a point where they can feel comfortable going out there on, on third and three and running outside zone and feeling like they're going to get a pretty solid result. And I think that when you look back in year two from where we were at in year one, if they are able to establish that as sort of the hallmark and the calling card and, hey, no matter how many games we win, you know, we establish this and we know we can run outside zone, I think that you would look at that almost as a success. And if they wind up doing that, then maybe there are some games on the back end of the schedule that maybe they could surprise somebody in. Talking to Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Kevin, I joked earlier that you know, I've been hosting this show for five years. About half of that, I've been navigating my way through talking about this NCAA investigation that first started with an FBI probe into college basketball. KU's gotten wrapped up in it. And my time hosting this show is about to come to an end next week. And I'm not going to get to see that finality, at least while I'm the host of Rock Chuck Sports Talk, which led me to start speculating about what the end is going to look like and when it's going to come. So I'm going to put you on the spot now. Do we get a decision? Is there going to be finality on what the punishments are going to be for KU by the end of 2021? So here's the thing, Nick. The answer is yes and no, I think. Wait a minute. I think we get uh, we get the answer in terms of from the NCAA, I think, and from the Independent Review Council. I think that that you get that. Why I say no is if that winds up going against Kansas, I think that with the way that the Jayhawks treated the Bill Self con, with the way the school treated the Bill Self contract situation, with all of the things that are going in there, 
I have a really hard time believing that if the Independent Review Council rules against Kansas, that Kansas isn't going to take that thing to more of a fight. And whether that means, you know, going to the courts, whether that means, you know, something else entirely, I'm not sure. But I think that we do get sort of that ruling and then we know what the steps are from there. Now, we would, you know, if the Independent Review Council, you know, sides with Kansas and Kansas likes its case and likes the end result, then, yeah, maybe we could have some finality. But I don't think it's the sort of thing where you and I would be talking, say, in January Kansas gets hammered, and we're just saying, "Well, that's that's it. That's that's the end of the ball game there." And, and you know, let's just move on. I, I think Kansas would very much find another avenue to sort of fight this whole thing. In. What do you think it would do for Bill Self's legacy? We already know on paper this team's going to be pretty solid next year. If in the midst of this, where the conversation for for two, three years now has been that, you know, this is hanging over Kansas's head and the uncertainty is hurting them more than anything else and it's being used against them in recruiting and they're not able to go out and get those blue chip recruits like they were doing, you know, two, three, four years ago. If they're able to put together a special run this year, not just a, a Big 12 championship because that's expected, but if they're able to go on some sort of run in March and be a title contending team and go to the Final Four, what do you think that would do to Bill Self's legacy? I think that the legacy is already pretty special, but I think that when you when you look at the way it's constructed, and I, I always thought that this was one of the most impressive parts of the Big 12 title streak, was that self won with so many different kinds of teams, right? You know, you had teams like the, the 2012 team that, that went to the title game, and you know, so much of that team was based around one player and Thomas Robinson being a really high usage guy. And, and yeah, they had, you know, Tyshawn Taylor and they had, you know, some other guys, but it was defense and you had one all American and, and, you know, a thin team that didn't really get much off the bench and they went to the national title game. And then you look at, you know, the, the team in 08, and it was basically, you know, 8 billion NBA guys on, on the roster, really deep in terms of, of talent. You know, everybody's sort of splitting stuff where, you know, you look at if Mario Chalmers had played on a different team, he could have been a guy that averaged 18 points a game. If Brandon Rush was on a different team, he could have been that guy. If Sharon Collins, and Sharon Collins did average, you know, around that once it became his turn and he was coming off the bench. And so you had this really, you know, long bench, deep team that, that won, I think to sort of circle around it and make a, you know, a, a long answer even longer. I think what it would establish in the legacy is Bill Self's unbelievable adapt adaptability. And, and in terms of, Hey, this is, a roster that's that's not necessarily constructed with you know top 10 recruits it's not built with you know i I don't know that they're going to have an all-american again on next year's team and so it would be just another way that he constructed that roster in terms of you know finding a few guys under the radar finding some transfers to fill in the holes and and kind of riding that to uh, to a major winning season, I think it would be just another check where you would say, "Hey, this this guy just finds a way." You know, whether he has a thin roster, a deep roster, a young roster, an old roster, you know, a roster filled with 
you know, with five-star guys or, or in this case a roster that's going to depend heavily on transfers, he just finds a way to get it done. Well, Kevin, uh, it's been a pleasure today. It's been a pleasure for the past handful of years. I'm I'm saying my goodbyes to everybody. I know we'll keep talking, and I know you'll probably keep coming on this show, but uh, this is probably the last time we'll be talking on a regular Tuesday. I know I have um, a couple of shows left next week. They're going to be kind of weird, so I hope I get to talk to you again. But um, under normal circumstances, I just wanted to say thank you for all the time you've spent coming on these airwaves and uh, giving us your analysis. I think you're one of the best at what you do. So just wanted to uh, formally say thank you for all the time you've given us and you've given me here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk over the years, man. Well, thanks a lot, Nick. I always uh, always appreciate the opportunity, and uh, and I don't think it's a, a stretch to say that uh, in addition to coming on here, I think we've established a, a pretty nice friendship, and uh, and hope to uh, hope that continues as well, my friend. Absolutely, sir. You know it, Kevin. Thanks as always, man. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. All right. Bye. All righty. That is Kevin Flaherty. 24-7 Sports. Check out his work, 247sports.com. I'm Nick Schwartz. Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Oh, it might be time for some reckless speculation. Ooh. I'm Nick Schwartz. He's Derek Johnson. You are listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Tyron Matthew went on Instagram Live last night. The Honey Badger, you may uh, remember him as. Honey Badger is entering a contract year. And I would suspect... He's going to get paid. But there's been some debate about that, right? There have been some nebulous Instagram, Twitter posts where he's sort of said, you know, uh, uh, maybe this is my last time. Somebody asked him a question, and he said he wasn't expecting to get a contract extension. So the Chiefs have a lot of guys they have to pay, right? Orlando Brown, the left tackle they just acquired from the Ravens, he's going to command a hefty price tag. You're talking about a 25-year-old, never been injured, Back-to-back Pro Bowls. Now you're the starting left tackle for the most expensive quarterback in the league. Yeah, you do a good job. You're going to probably be the highest-paid left tackle in the NFL. But Tyron Matthew, while not the most important player on the team, not the best player on the team, he's in the conversation for being one of the best safeties in the NFL. But he's not getting paid like it right now. His... Cash is about a, a hair under, his base salary is a, a hair under $15 million, which is a lot of money, but it's not competitive with the best defense backs in the league. So a lot of people want to know exactly what's going to happen as he goes into a contract here. He's only 29, so you're still thinking he's in the prime or about to enter the prime of his career. Well, last night, Honey Badger went on Instagram live and said that he was, quote, this is from his mouth, said, I'm celebrating... Life and a new deal. This is where the reckless speculation comes in. Celebrating a new deal. What could that possibly mean? What kind of deal could Tyron Matthew be celebrating other than a massive contract extension? Here's the question. Do the Chiefs even have enough money to give Tyron Matthew a new yes. deal. They do. Yeah, I'm actually looking at it right now. Okay, so uh, I'm on over the cap. And if you go to 2022, right now they have a projected $19 million in cap space. Let's say Orlando Brown takes up all 19 of that. Because that's very possible, right? If not more. Mil- yeah, okay. Um, 
If you cut Anthony Hitchens next offseason. Every single conversation we have about cap yeah. space ends with you saying to cut Anthony Hitchens. I don't think okay. every problem in the world wait, can be wait, wait, solved by cutting Anthony Hitchens. I'm actually pretty sure if they cut Anthony Hitchens, cancer gets cured. Yeah. So- hey, Derek, how do we end <laughs> world hunger? Cut Anthony Hitchens. Yeah. I mean, has it been proven that doesn't work? I don't know. It's worth a try. Uh, but you get $8.5 million. This is why he always gets brought up. Because... He hasn't been very good. You just drafted linebackers in the second round of the back last two drafts. It almost seems like they are just hinting in every way Anthony Hitchens is getting cut this next offseason. Okay. That would save you $8.5 million. That's not enough. I know it's not. Wait, that's step one. So now you're up to $27.5 million. So how much do you want to give Orlando Brown of that $27.5 that's available? I mean, I would start at $20 million. Okay. I think the highest paid around 22, 21, something like that. But again, when you talk about the fact that, I mean, Trent Williams just got the biggest deal ever, yeah. and the Chiefs were going after him. It was six years, $138 million. Okay, so $23 that's, million dollars a year. That's $23 million a year. Yeah. That's $45 million guaranteed. Right. Um, so David, David Bakhtari, Packers, making about the same. Laramie Tunsil. You're talking about left tackles. Yeah. But you're, you're now talking about the left tackle – it was 25 who's been very productive, and now his job is to protect Patrick Mahomes' blindside. Okay, let's say 23. You just want to go as high as it goes? Yes. Okay, so now you have $4 million left. Orlando Brown's done. If you cut Frank Clark and make it designated to a post-June 1st cut, you save $19.5 million. There's your money for Tyron Matthew. Hmm. That easy. So Tyron Matthews. Because who would you rather have? That that's basically what this conversation boils down to. Who would you rather have? Frank Clark or Tyron Matthew? There's no question it's Tyron Matthew. Yes. There is no question. Frank Clark plays a much more important position, but he hasn't been as productive. And he's not a leader. He's not the leader of the defense. He's not one of the leaders of the team like Tyron Matthew is. I've said this a million times. You can cut good players, you can cut your best players. You cannot cut your leaders. Two leaders on that defense, unquestionably are Chris Jones and Tyron Matthew. That's why those two guys are going to command big deals. They're going to get big deals. That's why the Chiefs found a way to keep Chris Jones around. Yes, he's one of the best players at one of the most important positions on the team, but just as important as that is the fact that he is one of the leaders on the team. You cannot let leaders walk. Teams never do it. Teams never do it. They don't let leaders walk. And if you see him as a leader, you're going to find a way to keep him around. So if that's the decision you make, you cut Frank Clark, Cut Anthony Hitchens. You have enough money for Brown. You have enough money for Matthew. Uh, you still have enough money for draft picks and maybe like a small signing somewhere. Um, and if you want even more money after that, this is the part that I, I can't decipher. Like I can I can go through this list and tell you, oh, this is how much they save on this guy. I don't understand the cap part of it where it's like, oh, we converted this portion of Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes' salary into a signing bonus and it saved us $15 Nobody million. does. That's why they did it. So for all I know, they can do that next year too. With, like, Patrick Mahomes or Travis Kelsey or whoever, you think I don't they, You think they could save money by cutting Patrick Mahomes? No, no, no. Just converting something from here or there. Teams do it all the boom. time. Like, they just did it with Matt Ryans to the point where he's going to be making, like, $45 million next year. <laughs> you can always move money around, but it always ends up catching up to you. There's no way for it to not bite you eventually. There's going to be a year where all of a sudden one player who's had all this money moved around is taking this astronomical cap hit. But reckless speculation, do you think he actually is starting a landscaping company? 
I don't, I didn't. So, so here's what happened. Somebody asked Tyron Matthew about it on Twitter, and he said, quote, just signed a new landscaping deal. Does that mean that he's starting, a, he's doing landscaping for someone, or that he just signed a deal for somebody to do landscaping for him? <laughs> that would be really funny, wouldn't it? Hey, I just hired a guy to mow my lawn. So in July 14, 2020, last year, Tyron Matthew tweeted this. I'm going commercial. And no, ain't no nobody gave me an endorsement. I'm talking about this landscape deal. Bring my mailbox money, please. So I guess he did start a landscaping company. Or at least there is precedent for him talking about lawn care mm. and landscaping. So Factual. No more reckless speculation. So we've got outside business interests. Earlier this afternoon, though, no, speculation not done. No. You're too quick to end the speculation. There's always more room, more wiggle room to speculate. Earlier this afternoon, he quote tweeted a list sent out by CBS Sports listing the highest paid defensive backs in the NFL. And as you would guess, Matthew, not amongst them. Jalen Ramsey making $20 million all the way down to William Jackson of Washington making $13.5 million. Most of these guys, Derek, are cornerbacks, shut down corners. Are we sure Tyra Matthew deserves D-backs, which in turn means top-paid cornerback money? He plays all over the field, though. Like Sometimes he is playing as like a... Are you shutting down number one wide receivers? That is generally how defensive backs get paid. Are you somebody I can put on an island with DeAndre Hopkins and Devontae Adams? Mm-hmm. No. The answer to that is no. You're not Jalen Ramsey. You're not getting $20 million a year. Did you see the quote from Greg Olson talking about tight end money, by the way? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, if tight end money goes up, then safety money goes up, right? Because safeties are guarding the tight ends. So Greg Olson went on, pardon my take, with Barstool, and... He talked about how tight ends are asked to do the same things that left tackles are asked to do. They're going up against the same defenders that wide receivers are getting asked to do, except they're getting paid $8 million while the wide receivers are getting paid $18 million and the left tackles are getting paid $20 million. Tight end university put on by Travis Kelsey and Greg Olson and George Kittle supposedly is supposed to be uh, an opportunity to increase the knowledge of tight ends and increase the overall play across the board at that position. But reckless speculation, was that secretly a conference to figure out ways to like start a tight end you, tight end you, tight end union mm. and lobby wait, 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 ways wait, wait. to get higher pay? The you is also a letter used in Illuminati. Mm, but it's not Tight the letter. Illuminati. It's not Illuminati. They're it's part Ill, of, it's Illuminati. Illuminati. I think your 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 lack of ability to spell is 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 hurting you here in this one instance. Isn't it Illu? Yeah, there's a U in the middle of the yeah, of the word. Yeah, usually that's not how people do things though. Well they hide the other part of it. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the Illuminati hiding. Yes. Wow, wow. That's and next No level. one would ever expect the Illuminati to hide with tight ends. Do you think you top-end tight ends deserve top-end wide receiver money? Travis Kelsey, George K- 
Kittle, yes. Others, think, no. <laughs> right? But couldn't you use that same logic for running backs? Could you use that logic for Christian McCaffrey and no. Saquon Barkley and Dalvin Cook and say you deserve to be paid like wide receivers? No, because, okay, that's the thing. Like, what Greg Olson said applies, but it's only to a handful of guys, right? Like, not every tight end is being brought on to be your focal point at receiver. Not every tight end is being brought on to be like a stud run blocker, you know? But the ones who are elite at both, the ones who produce at top level wide receiver like Travis Kelsey, yes, that makes sense. But like, but even then, it's not even close though. It's still not close for guys like George Kittle and Kelsey, who are the two highest paid guys at those positions. Travis Kelsey, has uh, his contract runs through 2026, $27 million in guaranteed money. Making about fourteen million per year. Yeah, but which, that's... which which puts him behind. I mean, it would put him making like the twentieth highest paid yeah. wide receiver in the NFL. No, I, I, I mean guys like DeAndre Hopkins making twenty two, twenty seven plus million dollars a year. Keenan Allen's making twenty million a year. Tyreek Hill's making yeah, yeah. eighteen. Like we can see it right there. No, but Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are on the same team, and one of them is making significantly more money right. than the other. No, no, it it is happening. I'm just saying, like if you said Keenan Allen. Travis Kelsey. Both are going to command the same contract. Who they're are you both, taking? They're both free agents. Yeah, who are you taking? You've got money to, to pay for one or the other. I'm taking Travis Kelsey. Agreed. In fact, I would yeah. pay more. I would pay more for Travis Kelsey same. than I would Keenan Allen. So just because the market's not there yet doesn't mean it shouldn't be. Does that make sense? Whereas with running backs, it's like you can't replace every argument we have with running backs is just that you can find another one very easily, right? You can't replace Travis Kelsey. You can't replace George Kittle with a random There's tight like end. two good tight ends. Yes. Like Kyle Pitts, we haven't even seen him play, and I'm already convinced he top might top be five tight end. one of the yeah. top five tight ends in the league. How do you do it, though? Because we've said this with running backs. It was when Todd Gurley was trying to get his massive contract, which he got, by the way, and ended up being a terrible deal for the team that gave it to him. If you're these if you're these players, whether it's a tight end running back, what what do you what's your bargaining chip? How are you honestly going to go get more money? You can maybe do it for yourself. If you're Travis Kelsey, you could probably find a way to convince the Chiefs to give you $18 million a year. You're not going to do it in 2026 when at that point you'll be, what, 36? 36? That's not going to happen. But if you need to renegotiate your deal, which I'd imagine will happen. Like, I'm assuming if Kelsey goes to the table and says, I'm not playing out the rest of this contract. Like, I'm looking at how much money I'm making. Those wide receiver contracts are going to continue to go up because I think... I think... Tyreek Hill is going to be a free agent not after this season, after next year. Yeah. If he gets a new deal and it goes up from making $18 million a year, which honestly was a bargain because it happened right after that tape came out and people wondered if he was going to be out of the league. If he gets a new deal making upwards of $20 million, 22, 23, like one of the top three or four highest paid players at that position, you don't think Travis Kelsey's going to look around and say, wait a minute, I'm in the same offense as this guy. I know my value and he's not worth nearly twice as much as me. At that point, what do you do if you're the Chiefs? You can't really say, well, we'll go draft another guy to, to fill your role. No. They just did. Noah Gray. Yeah. That's that's what it is. <laughs> Noah Gray is Travis Kelsey insurance. That is perhaps the most reckless of speculations we could possibly do. It's 20 after the hour. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Welcome back to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwert. Thanks for hanging out with us. It's time for a Tuesday news break. Derek, let's catch everybody up 
with what's going on in the news lately. What is going on in the news? So much. So yeah. much has been happening. So, so much is happening. Um, I'm surprised we haven't heard about this more from like a national news perspective. There was like a redneck rave in Kentucky, which... Not it, like a redneck no, rave. It was. it was officially yeah. titled <laughs> Redneck Rave. It sounds exactly like what you would think. It's basically just a big plot of land, kind of muddy dirt area and they have a bunch of rvs cars four by fours all stacked in with i i don't know how many people they said are in attendance i think it was tens of thousands so it's it's like woodstock subtract hippies add rednecks and i don't even think there's music there so instead of being in upstate new york you're in instead of having a bunch of hippies you've got a bunch of rednecks that basically sum it up? Yeah, pretty much. And as you would imagine, a lot of crazy stuff sold, by the way. 20,000. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, And I bet you there were more that showed up that just didn't buy a ticket. But, like, some of the pictures you can go through of this thing. Like, there's a guy with, like, a flamethrower just, like, lighting it up into nowhere. Um, There's some weird signs. So they, they did this thing in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. So it's just like a plot of land that turned into a mud pit because it there's nothing there and it rained and it turned sloppy. Exactly what you would expect it to do in something called a redneck rave. The aftermath, though, is what's a little bit more interesting here because 48 people have been charged with varying offenses. You may wonder, okay, public intoxication, assault. Yeah, those are some of them. Uh, one man, unfortunately, had his throat slit. So, add murder to the list of offenses. Well, one woman was choked by a man in a fight over a blanket. Oh. You think you and your wife, like, fighting over covers at night gets a little tense sometimes? And another man had a log impaled into his abdomen. Oh. Ew. So, there were some pretty serious injuries. Organizers of the event billed it ahead of time. As, quote, America's wildest and craziest country party. And at least based off of what we know, it feels like. Yeah, they did it. The party. (laughs) They lived up to their billing. They sold a bill of goods and they got the job done. The guy who who slit the other guy's throat, they were friends. They got drunk, started fighting one night and said, you know what, enough of this. And uh, as of Wednesday... Last Wednesday has not been arrested. So, on the run. The uh, a quote from the sheriff, the Edmondson County Sheriff said they were intoxicated, they got into a fight, one of them slit the other one's throat and then fled into the park. In a separate incident, 29-year-old Lancer Hodges, Lancer, right? That sounded like the name of somebody who would attend a redneck rave, not Lance, Lancer, like Derricker. Even more Derek. Just add an err to the end of it. Lancer Hodges was arrested after he allegedly strangled a woman until she passed out when they got into a fight over a blanket. Uh, She did not die, fortunately. And then another man driving a side-by-side. You know what those side-by-sides are? Those, like, gator-looking things. Ended up with a log impaled in his abdomen. A log impaled in his abdomen. How do you not die from that? There's a log sticking out of your body. Authorities say the man drove over the log, but it broke through the floorboard of his vehicle and stabbed him in the abdomen. When it tried to come out through his back, it was stopped by a steel plate behind his seat. So that's that's 
the impaling thing. Not just stuck in a little bit, goes through you. Redneck rave. Did you see this sign from one of the pictures? It's some lady walking Take, around. I'll just read it. Yeah. Take a shot of my breast milk. <laughs> and she's got what looks to be a breast like a milk pump, pump with, yeah. in her hand. The sheriffs who were tasked with trying to uh, uphold the law said he ended up making the decision to contain the illegal activity to the park because he didn't have enough staff to try and stop the event from happening. Tons of injuries, multiple people suffered broken fingers, broken bones, dislocated joints, severe lacerations. A lot of this stuff was alcohol-induced. They said the first vehicle that came through, they set up shop outside the festival to, to get people as they were leaving. The very first vehicle that came through They found meth, marijuana, and an open alcohol container. And they said that was one of the more law-abiding citizens that they they encountered. Uh, By the end of the the whole event, 48 people, 48 people were charged with varying offenses. But here's the kicker, man. As much of a disaster as this sounds like, six felony charges, assault, strangulation. The organizer of the event, his name is Justin Stowers. He said that the festival was, quote, the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, this seems like Firefest, except people got hurt, you know? Obviously, we'll never see it again. Here's what Justin Stowers has to say. We can definitely improve a lot of things to make the one in October run a lot better. They're doing another one in in a few months. They're going to do another one after a guy gets his throat slit. Another dude strangles a girl over a blanket and a guy gets impaled by a log. They said, want to run it back in October? We are all listening to all your suggestions, he said in a Facebook post. This was the biggest event we've ever done. With as many people and random things that popped up unexpectedly, I feel like we all handled it very well. Footnote, except for the guy who murdered the other guy. You tried to ruin the fun for all of us. Do you think one murder is enough to cancel that event forever? No, no. How many murders? Double digits. 20,000, one out of 20,000. I can't think of an event I would be more terrified to attend than this. I'm not kidding. Did you ever watch that show as a kid? It was on, uh, I don't even remember, it was like HDTV or something. Uh, and I'm from Art- Kansas. Like, I should be I should be comfortable in these sorts of settings. It was like Art Man. Or something like that. Huh? You don't have any idea what we're talking about? No. It's like a TV show. He just like went to events like this. He just like filmed it and like experienced it. It's just very interesting. No, that's just that's too much, man. Rednecks are rednecks are crazy. They they don't care, dude. They don't care about anything. They don't care about anything. And that that's the most dangerous type of people to be around. When anything goes, they're handing out shots of breast milk. Just like off-roading. Yeah, what would be that? You have to participate in one thing. What would it be? What do you mean one thing? At that event? One thing at the event. Well, I don't know what were the... I didn't, I, didn't, milk, I didn't see the... It's definitely four not going to be... No, because the 4x4, the four four, they're going to go as fast as possible. Muddy. Yeah, they're going to go muddy. some like, guy rolling around in the How mud. do you think all these injuries happened? I don't know. I would do a beer bong or something, I guess. Beer bong with the breast milk. Not with the breast milk. Absolutely. Have you ever been... They actually just had this in Topeka last week. 
Country Stampede. Uh-uh. I went to that one time. It used to be out in Manhattan in Riley County. And they should have kept it there. But at least it's not making its way to Lawrence. It, country Stampede, massive country music festival. And the music, it's a big concert that goes on for four days. And it, every single day, every night, there's a new main event. They get big stars like Tim McGraw and uh, Brad Paisley. Person. Yeah. Uh, Dirks, Bentley. <laughs> every night, there's a main event. But all day. There's concerts, like for four days straight. But the real event is what's going on on the other side of the fence, which is the campgrounds, which is just acres and acres of people parking their RVs, tents, buses, and just insane amounts of drinking. It's one of the most, I mean, it's just visceral, man. It is so anything goes type drinking. There's country music blasting, beer bongs everywhere, people taking shots, playing games, uh, beads, girls showing their breasts, like all of it, all of it for four days. And it's muddy and swampy and nasty and sweaty and disgusting. This seems like that taken to the next level because Country Stampede is not for me. I know people who like it, but it's like not for kids and it's not for grown ups either. It's like girls gone wild <laughs> at the pig pen. You know, like it's two worlds sort of combining, and that's not a world that I ever want to live in. And that's what it seems like this whole thing was. Redneck rave. All right, maybe we'll do a live coming show again in October. Year. Yeah, actually, can right, we get into I, contact I with the yeah. with the organizers? <laughs> uh, hey, have you ever like been in a neighbor battle or like where your parents live? Like you kind of have you know passive aggressive neighbors or anything like that. I I'm in one right now, but I'll I'll tell you the story. Are. I'll tell the okay. story after the story. Love this. Uh, well, speaking of those passive-aggressive neighbors in England. There was a family who owned a tree right out front of their house, and the tree is on their side of the property, but it's kind of like splitting right down in between. And so, obviously, part of the tree, the leaves, the branches on top, hang out over the driveway, at least just part of the driveway of this other house. This other house, the neighbor, unhappy with it because they thought that birds were nesting in the tree and they were getting bird poop all over their car. What did they decide to do? They decided to cut the part of the tree that was over their half. It's not just like cutting branches. They just basically, this tree looks like it has been just not cut in half, like from the uh, the hot dog style, I guess, from like <laughs> the hamburger style. Straight through, just the leaves up top. It is, I mean, it's not like that big of a story, but this is just funny to me because it is the ultimate passive aggressive. Are you allowed to do that? I guess it's on their side. If it hangs over your fence... It's your property? Is that is that the how the law works? I guess. I mean, listen to this quote. It sounds like they just like murdered a child. We were absolutely distraught. We pleaded and pleaded with them not to do it, but their mind was made up. The tree was coming down. And they have been they have been na- neighbors for 25 years. So it's not just like somebody you didn't have a relationship with. But every person has their code and and their breaking point, and this was clearly it for them. I I can understand it, not specifically. Like I said, I'm in a little passive-aggressive thing with my neighbors. I live in an apartment. Something I didn't realize when I moved in, the walls are incredibly thin. You don't hear everything, but anything that's slightly louder than it should be is going to get overheard. The first night I move in, the first night I move in, my bedroom wall is adjacent to my neighbor's bedroom wall. The first night I move in, I hear, I didn't even know if it was a guy or a girl, but there was a guy and a girl present, and they were having 
attacks very loudly. And I go, oh, this is awesome. I mean, she sounded like she was in pain. Like, I almost wanted to go over there and offer assistance. Like, are you okay, ma'am? Is there anything I can do to help you? It was so loud. Blood curdling. Like, over the top. Like, come on. Is it really? Is that? Is that really how it's going? So, whatever. I thought that was going to be an everyday occurrence. It's not. But they wake up earlier than me. They're up at 7 a.m. every day, and they're loud. They're talking right away. They are having conversations and laughing and screaming at 7 a.m. And they have a dog that barks all the time. Drives me insane. Then I got the woman upstairs who is either an Olympic power lifter or she gives tap tap dance lessons at 5.30 a.m. every single day. Like just stomping around. Just the most heavy-footed woman I've ever met in my life. And then you got the guy on the other side of the wall who just, you can tell he's betting and losing a lot on games because he only makes noise during sporting <laughs> events that I'm also watching. And it'll always be at the end of the game when somebody hits a last second shot or somebody hits a home run and you'll hear him screaming. It's never positive. It's always, oh, come on. Are you kidding me? It's that a lot. It's a lot of that. So, so I don't like any of your neighbors. So I haven't met any of my neighbors, but I've gotten to know all of them. And so I'm making noise, too, at certain times when I'm recording stuff, whether it be for this show or a podcast that I'm doing, I'm recording and I'm projecting my voice and I'm talking loudly. And I can hear when they can hear me because you know what happens? All the volume starts going up. Like the guy on this side of the wall, I start talking and I can hear him crank the TV volume up almost like he's passive aggressively telling me that I'm talking too loud. So it's a never-ending battle that will never... It, it, seriously, it will never be resolved. Are you living resolved. in an open tent? It feels like it. It feels like there is absolutely nothing... Like, I know them all so well, yet I've never met them. I don't know their names, but I know everything about them. Do you think it would be better or worse if you met them? It would be worse because they're probably decent people. Mm-hmm. And if I met them... So I would need have the animosity. Yeah, if I met them, I might them. be more sympathetic towards, hey, you know what, they're just a normal person that, that's living their life. I like to be able to despise them despite not knowing anything about mm. them. Yeah, that's very kind of you. Uh, an update to a story we shared yesterday, the Tour de France lady who stuck out her sign and caused the big crash. Um, we mentioned yesterday that the Tour de France plans on suing her. But unfortunately for them... They can't find her. According to French publication West France or Ouest France, I don't know how it's pronounced. Uh, she got on a flight, and I, I don't understand this part. They said she is untraceable. She's untraceable? Not like, I don't understand this. Is she Jason Bourne? Like, what the hell is going on here? Um, but yeah, she got on a flight immediately after this happened, left. Uh, they assumed she's German based on, again, what it said on the sign. This is in France, so now they just can't find her, so they want to sue her, but if they don't know who she is, they don't know where to find her, how do you sue her? This base lady basically might have just got away with this. So the signs was, like, she literally was had one foot on the track to say hello to her grandparents. <laughs> it's such an odd event to feel the need at to first, do this. At first, I felt like that must be a sign of protest. She's protesting something politically, right? Why else would she do that? Because you'll notice there's so many people lining the road, yet she's the only one with one foot on the road. So clearly, if you've got a foot on the road, you know the pack's right there. It's It reminds me of that Mike Tomlin moment. Remember that Mike Tomlin moment? I think it was Monday Night Football mm-hmm. or Sunday Night Football. 
when it's a uh, punt return, I yeah. think it was, or kick return. It was one of the it was special. And he's play. watching the Jumbotron. And it's coming up his sideline. And at the last second he jumps out of the way, you have to know. You can't be that oblivious or lack that much self-awareness to know you're watching the play. You know where it's at. You know there's something coming. How are you not getting the bleep out of the way? He's a coach watching the Jumbotron. This woman's just at the, the Tour de France. I'll give her a ton of credit. I say if she gets away, I, there should be like a, a statute of limitations of like 48 hours. If you can't find this woman in 48 hours, <laughs> you got to respect the hustle and let her go. What if she becomes like a serial sports ruiner? I don't even know what the term would be there. Where she goes to different sporting events and does this. Like Marlon's man. Yeah. Except. <laughs> like in a chaotic doing, way. Yeah, in a chaotic way. Not just getting attention. Wouldn't that be awesome, though? Yeah, it probably would. And every single place she goes. World Series. Uh, foul, you know, she's the next and Steve you Barber. you never know when she's going to show up. You never know when that chaos is going to ensue. Uh-huh. Courtside seats. NBA Finals. Uh, you know, front row Wimbledon. 18th green at the yeah. the British Steals Open. Steals the ev- ball. And everywhere she goes, she's got a sign that says hello to her grandparents. <laughs> That's her whole stance. And it becomes a movement. Uh-huh. Like, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Where in the world is the Tour de France disruptor? It would be such a weird bit, but I I respect the hell out of it, to be completely honest with you. It's kind of like, kind of reminds me of Jason Bourne. That's what I'm saying. She basically is Jason Bourne, but from the sports perspective. Except, yeah, you know, just she's not murdering Not people. doing yeah. a whole hell of a lot with her powers. All right, that's your news break. On a Tuesday, he's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwert, and you are listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk.